Today we're going to look at, not 2 Corinthians, but we're going to look at Psalm 119. And we'll look at verses 161 all the way through 168. I believe the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, but I'm going to do eight verses. <clears throat> Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do keep your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. God, we thank you just for this Sunday, and we... You know, we ask that you speak to us because uh, just as we're going to talk about today, you're, you know, when you speak to us, um, you know, your word through scripture, uh, through this preaching, um, communicated by way of your Holy Spirit, your word is something that is uh, delightful and fills us um, with not just truth, but fills us with delight. And so I pray, God, that you would fill us with delight in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're not quite finished with our series on 2 Corinthians, but as I said, I thought a lot of people were going to be out today. I know a bunch of families who are out of town um, this holiday weekend, and the next passage in 2 Corinthians is like, uh, I think it's like a very important one, and in some ways it's like a, I don't know if it's the climax of the letter, but it's it's the portion where a lot of people uh, are familiar with, where Paul talks about the thorn in his side and how uh, Jesus tells him, your grace is sufficient. And I think it's like a really powerful passage and an important message that I want um, uh, our entire church to hear. So I'm going to hold off on that. And I'm not going to do it next week at the outdoor service either, but uh, I'm going to do it the following Sunday when we come back. But every so often, the way I think about the summers is I like to sometimes return to the basics of the faith and some of the basic practices of the Christian faith. And I think I think Fred preached on rest uh, last time, and so it's, it's kind of a good way to, like, r- remind ourselves of, you know, one of the foundational elements of what it means to be a Christian in terms of uh, our practice and in terms of our heart's desires, and when I say basic, uh, maybe we kind of think, oh, because it's basic, it's, like, easy, and because it's basic, it's something that we should have already mastered, uh, but I don't mean basic in that sense. I just mean basic in a foundational sense that this is something that's incredibly important for the Christian life. And today what I want to do is I want to reflect on the word. The word is incredibly important to us. Um, my family, we, we just got back from Florida and we were on vacation for a week. And in Florida, we did like a lot of swimming. We went to the beach a couple times. Uh, I got to experience driving a boat. So in Florida, you don't need a license to drive a boat. You can just rent a boat and just drive it. My first time driving a boat and <laughs> You know, we, we went to, like, you know, Florida had, like, all these, like, little islands that aren't accessible by car. So you, you kind of take the boat, <clears throat> and you pull up on the island, and, you know, you can hang out on, like, a very secluded beach. So we went to, like, this first stop, and then, you know, I didn't know what to do. So, and we were out there early, and no other boats are, were around, so I couldn't, like, follow what other people are doing. So, you know, I just drove the boat onto the beach, which you're supposed to do. And then you have the anchor, and I've seen people drop an anchor many times. I, I don't actually know how to use it and how it works. So I was just like throwing it and we just, boom, right? It dropped into the water. I was like, is that it? Is that all we do? And then, uh, you know, we got out of the boat and we we're like swimming 
And then Jen's like, the boat is floating away. <laughs> so we're like, oh. So we go and we swim to the boat and uh, we get on the boat and I drive it back onto the beach. So, it, you know, it was like a, a fun trip. And uh, we went to the beach. <laughs> I, I got a lot, a, a lot of boat stories of how um, I messed up, if you want to hear them. But this actually has a point to the sermon. That's why I'm telling you the story. Uh, you know, one of the things you realize about water, water moves, right? There's a current. So we went to the beach and we're swimming and I'm with the kids, and, you know, they're on a boogie board, and they have, like, life jackets on, and just kind of floating away, and then, um, you know, after, like, I don't know, 30 minutes, I tell them, come on, come follow me, swim this way, and they're like, why, why? I was like, because we've moved. They're like, what do you mean? We haven't moved. I'm like, look where our stuff is, and then, you know, our stuff is, like, all the way down the side, because the current pushes you. The ocean water moves you, and, um, you know, when you're just in the water, and you're being moved, you don't really realize like you're moving uh, until you kind of, you know, find, like reorient yourself to like where you plopped down your stuff. So we were looking for our beach umbrella and it's like, look, look where our beach umbrella is. And then they're finally like, oh yeah, we, we have moved. We didn't realize, but we did move a lot. And we look to the beach umbrella as kind of our anchor. Uh, I think the word is a little bit like that umbrella in that as we find ourselves, and this, this just is going to happen to everybody, we find ourselves living in the world, we're going to be moved by our surroundings. And the word gives us something to fix our eyes upon so that it can reorient us. Uh, there are all these forces around us um, that are shaping our hearts, that are kind of forming us in terms of how to think, what to desire, right? And I don't think there's anything we can necessarily do to like resist that because these things are so powerful, but we need the word to kind of remember as we get moved to reorient us and something that we can fix our eyes upon. There's this German sociologist that uh, I've been like pretty into these days. And uh, his, his name is Hartmut Rosa. And I, I brought one of his books on vacation and I read one of his books and you know, one of the things he, he says, he's trying to like look at the modern world and he sees like there are so many uh, problems in the modern world with like anxiety and depression and all these things. And he's trying to, I guess, explain it from a sociological perspective. And so he says um, one of the main reasons why modern society is like that is because what he calls social acceleration. So he says because of technology and because of all these other factors, things are changing very, very, very rapidly. And the rate of change uh, has led to instability in societies. And uh, this rate of change has led to uh, a sense of disorientation. And I don't know if you feel it necessarily, but maybe it feels a little bit like we're swimming in an ocean and there are these like forces that are moving at a pace where we don't really feel like we can keep up anymore. And if this German guy is right, Hartmut Rosa, I do think that we are going to need something that is going to keep us somewhat fixed so that we can reorient ourselves when we do feel somewhat disoriented. And God gives us a great gift, which is his word. And it allows us to kind of uh, find that anchor and to be anchored in something that, um, that is eternal because it reflects God himself who is eternal himself. And so what we're going to do is reflect on the importance of God's word and we're going to do it by looking at Psalm 119. And the reason I like to reflect on God's word through the Psalms is because I think we have a congregation that is pretty uh, educated. And therefore, when we think about the word, uh, we probably think about it 
intellectually first and we think like oh yeah i can read the bible or i understand the bible or uh i've you know uh or maybe you don't understand the bible which is fine too but we think about it as like from the perspective of do i understand it or do i not understand it but what i want to do is i want to look at the psalms because uh not only does it say we should read it and study it and hear it but it also says we should meditate on it, we should love it, we should rejoice in it, we should delight in it, we should stand in awe of it, we should praise God for it. And the Psalms tell us not just whether we understand the word or not, but it actually says, do you love the word? Do you desire the word, right? Do you rejoice in it? Is it something that fills you, not just intellectually, but I guess from the deepest recess of our souls? And that's how I want to approach the word and look at the word today. There is this book that I read a long time ago called The Righteous Mind. And uh, one of the things, again, he's like a social scientist too. He teaches at NYU. But one of the things he says in that book is uh, people don't arrive at a determination of what's right and what's wrong based on reason first. But he argues people actually arrive at what's right and what's wrong based on intuition. And then... We use reason to try to explain that intuition. Uh, His subtitle, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. So you kind of get a sense of what he's trying to figure out. And he illustrates this by saying, and I don't know if this is his illustration, but I learned it from him. But he says, uh, think of a rider who's like riding on an elephant. And even though it looks like the rider is in charge, and even though the rider can do some important things like learn a new skill or explain what the elephant is doing, The elephant is ultimately the one who is doing the moving. The elephant, he says, is like intuition. And the rider is like reason. And even though the rider is important, the chief mover is the elephant. And what that made me think about is this. You know, a lot of times we uh, try to uh, convince somebody by approaching the intellect alone. And the intellect is, of course, very important. But it made me think, you know, we also have to address not just the intellect, but we have to address what I guess he would say the intuition or the the emotional aspect of something. Um, And so to put it in another way with respect to the Bible, in addition to reflecting whether our theology is right or wrong, I think we also have to reflect on whether we have the right attitude or heart or desire for God's word, for scripture. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and it is all about God's word. And I think what will be challenging about this psalm is not necessarily what it teaches about God's word, though it does have a lot to say about that, but what the writer expresses when it comes to God's word. I think that will be the challenge for us, uh, especially if we look at our own hearts. You know, if we were to read this entire psalm, you see expressions like this. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Uh, These are expressions of, like, emotions of delight and emotions of longing, even emotions of desperation, right? I need to cling to it. And if you didn't know that it was talking about God's word, then you would almost think that this person was writing like a love letter or a love poem to a lover if you're a christian maybe you've asked yourself do i know the bible well enough and to be sure that is a very important question to ask but in some ways i don't think it's the first question to ask because that question can also breed a kind of spiritual pride where we we you know say oh i i know 
uh, enough where I consider myself to be uh, mature in faith. And sometimes if you're somebody who has grown up in the church, you can kind of have this attitude of, oh man, I've, I've heard it before and I've read it before and nothing that I hear in a sermon is, is going to sound new to me. I've heard this passage preached before. I've read this passage many times before. And therefore, we kind of fall into that attitude, not of like uh, delighting God, God's word, but it's like, well, teach me something new, right? Teach me something insightful. And then when we don't get that, then we begin to say, ah, the Bible is re- relevant to me now because it doesn't have anything to say to my particular issue or to my particular need or situation, or it's not stimulating enough to my mind. But there's a deeper problem, and it isn't about uh, knowledge or the lack of knowledge of the Bible. The deeper problem has to do with the orientation of our hearts towards God's Word. We don't love it enough. We don't delight in it. We don't cling to it. We don't treasure it the way that the psalmist does. And so rather than asking, do I know the Bible well enough? The first question I think we should all ask is, do I love God's Word enough? Do I desire or long for God's Word? Because how we answer that question really will tell us a great deal about uh, the vitality of our relationship with God himself. Now, I think if the right heart is there, I do think the knowledge part will come and take care of itself. Um, You know, China is very different today, but one of the first times I went to China was, I don't know, maybe 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. One of the first times I went to China, I was struck by how... Uh, the Chinese believers had this like really deep insatiable hunger for the Bible Uh, up until that point I was kind of used to you know you preach a sermon if it's like more than 30 or 45 minutes people get mad and annoyed right Um, if you do a Bible study and if it's like more than an hour or hour and a half people get annoyed (laughs) and then I can't come to like China and we go to like small hot room and there's like this uh, whiteboard and uh people just wanted to hear about like the Bible and learn about the Bible for like hours. Uh, I didn't do this, but um, you know, somebody that, uh, a missionary that I know, he said, you know, there were days where he would teach the Bible for like 12 hours and then he would get tired and he couldn't teach anymore, right? But the, the, the Chinese believers, they just wanted to learn more and more. They had like that deep, deep hunger. And I would say that was like the, probably the first time uh, I experienced, oh, wow, this is like, uh, this is special, right? That kind of deep hunger that these Chinese believers had. And uh, as a teacher, it was like incredibly fun. But also as a, as a teacher, it was uh, incredibly uh, shameful because I was like, oh, man, I don't love the word as much as these like Chinese believers. Uh, they were able to quote like large, por- and at the time, they didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have like a lot of books. They didn't have a lot of commentaries or books on theology. But they were able to like quote large portions of scripture and reference almost anything in the Bible uh, when we were having like a theological discussion. So you would say, oh, you know, in, in Isaiah it says this or uh, oh, in Nehemiah it says this. And they, they just knew it all because they had read and consumed their Bible um, right, so deeply. And it, I, I don't think it's because they're necessarily... Um, you know, have more intellectual resources, but I think it was with the heart. They just had a deep desire for God's word. If we want um, a real knowledge of God, and I think that's something that we all want. I would even say that's something that um, people who aren't Christian believers want. I, I think everybody that we encounter 
want something beyond ourselves, want something that is transcendent, want to connect with something that is not just what we see here. Um, I think if we want to have a real knowledge of God, then it has to be more than an intellectual knowledge of the Bible. I think we also need a knowledge that is born out of delighting in a personal relationship. Um, now, maybe some of us have been in a relationship with someone for so long that you can kind of actually anticipate what they're, they're thinking at a time in a certain situation. You can kind of intuit it, right? My wife and I, we've been married for, I guess, over 12 years now. And uh, I think, you know, over the years, we've kind of learned how to hear one another's voice without even actually hearing it. So uh, when I'm driving and I'm like behind a slow car, I can hear my wife in my head saying, what are you, why are you behind this car? Pass the car and go faster, right? And then she proceeds to say it out loud. And I'm like, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and uh, the reason I can hear her saying that is because, you know, she said it to me so many times before that I can just like intuit it now. I know this is what she's thinking. Um, you know, she didn't say this anymore, but she used to say, you know, when she would go shopping, she would hear me say, like, in her head, hey, do we really need that? <laughs> right? Do we really need to buy that? Uh, are we really going to, like, use that? And the reason is because I've probably said that to her a thousand times as we've gone shopping, and she's like, ooh, I want to buy this. She's heard my voice say, do we really need that? Right? So now, when she shops, she just automatically hears that in her head. Uh, these days, what she probably hears is, like, do we have space for that, right? Do we have space for that? <laughs> but the more you listen to someone, the more you, you can, like, intuit their thoughts and their voice. And I think there's a, that's a kind of knowledge that really goes beyond what you learn informationally, but it's a kind of knowledge that is born out of personal relationship. And it's a kind of knowledge that comes after years and years and years of just listening to uh, a person. And in the same way, I think one of our goals uh, when it comes to a life of faith, it should be to be able to hear God like that. And the way we do it is by spending uh, a lot of time in his word, reflecting, meditating on his word, delighting in his word. Um, and I think, you know, it's not like an immediate return kind of thing. So if you're kind of an impatient person, it's like, oh, man, I don't get what this passage says to me today. And you kind of give up especially if you do like a Bible reading plan and you get to like Leviticus and you're just kind of like, what? But if you can persevere through that and just spend many, many years, uh, even many, many decades just being in the Word, I think eventually what happens is you begin to get a sense of what God is saying or would say because you've been so saturated um, in His Word and not just in a study intellectual way, but in a kind of prayer-filled life that is in communion with God as you absorb what he's saying in his word. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten to Psalm 119 yet, but that doesn't mean the sermon's going to be super long. Uh, well, I just want to make two small points from Psalm 119, and we'll look at a small sample. But as I was reading this passage, I was very immediately struck by the verbs used to describe the writer's actions in relation to the word. So, he says, my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. And that's a very different attitude than what like a typical New Yorker might have with respect to the Bible. 
if we were to rewrite uh, this psalm or some of these verses and reflect the reality of maybe our attitude or, again, the typical New Yorker's attitude towards the Bible, it might sound a little something like this. Uh, I'm a little bit ambivalent towards your words. If I need it, maybe I'll pick it up and use it, but otherwise it doesn't have an impact on my life in any way. Uh, yeah, I, I hate and abhor falsehood, but who's to say what's true, right? That's, that's kind of like the New Yorker you have <laughs> looking at the Bible. And so, of course, there's a world of difference in the way the, write, the writer relates to God's word and maybe how uh, we or others might relate to God's word. But this writer actually equates God's word to finding great spoil or treasure. It's that precious. It's that valuable. Uh, when we were in Florida, I was telling Fred about this before, but we went and looked look for shells. And normally that's not an activity I would be very engaged in. I don't really care about shells. But then they said there's a particular shell called a junonia that um, is very rare and people spend like one or $200 on them. So once I heard that, I was like, oh, I gotta find the junonia, which I didn't find. But uh, imagine finding that and it's like, oh, this trip was worth it. I found this precious <laughs> shell. That, that's the kind of longing that the psalm actually has with respect to, uh, and it doesn't say God's word, it actually says God's rule, right? God's law, his testimonies, right? That's the kind of attitude that we see towards God's word here. But why does this psalmist have this attitude? And how does he see the nature of God's word? And uh, the first thing I'll say is this, you know, God's word is something that is unshakable when life gets shaken. And I guess to put it another way, to use that ocean analogy, it's something that's orienting when life gets disorienting. Psalm 161 begins by saying this, princes persecute me without cause. And there's not a lot of detail here, so we don't know exactly what's going on, but we do know there's suffering and there's injustice here. And the natural response or reaction to suffering or injustice is to be shaken by it. But the response here is to stand in awe of God's word. And then if you look at verse 165, he says, Great peace have those who love your law. So even in the face of persecution, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of injustice, according to the psalmist, God's word is a source of strength that actually leads to peace. That's why it's so precious. John Newton, he's the pastor that wrote that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, but uh, he's, he's actually famous, I guess his books are famous, not necessarily for... Uh, I don't know, his like theology or anything like that, but uh, he's famous for a collection of letters uh, that I guess he compiled and were published. And there's a story in one of his letters where he visits a young woman in his church and she's dying. And, you know, she was like a very simple woman and she never traveled more than 12 miles from her home. And all she could really do at home, especially in those days, all she could do is just read her Bible. And she did very little else. And a few days before her death, John Newton came and visited her to pray for her. And on her deathbed, uh, this is what she says to him. And the English is a little bit old, so you have to excuse the language. But she says this. She says, Sir, you are highly favored in being called to preach the gospel. I've often heard you with pleasure, but give me leave to tell you that I now see all you have said or can say is comparatively but little nor till you come into my situation and have death and eternity in full view will it be possible for you to conceive the vast weight and importance of the truths you declare. 
O oh, sir, it is a serious thing to die. No words can express what is needful to support the soul and the solemnity of a dying hour. What she's basically kind of saying is this. Uh, she's saying, like, you know, you preach the word, and it is, like, the greatest privilege that anybody could ever have. And because you're not in my position, because you're not on uh, your deathbed, uh, you probably don't realize, like, the the importance of what you're doing in preaching this word, in preaching this gospel. Uh, and she's saying, you know, in view of my oncoming death, I have this deep sense of how important and how weighty this gospel that you preached week in and week out is. And suffering and death are these powerful forces because they, they basically strip us naked and remind us of our very weak and vulnerable state. And in some ways, suffering and death make us see reality for how we ought to see it. And because of that, when God gives us the gift of grace and faith to believe and to trust in him, his word can really come alive to the point where we really delight in it in the way that this psalmist does. When his word says things like, God is faithful and he is righteous and his love is steadfast and he will vindicate us and he will bless us and there will be a day when there will be no more pain or tears or death because there is the reality of a res resurrection. In those moments, God's word becomes something to delight in. It becomes sweet. It becomes that treasure, that junonia that we all delight in. The second thing I'll say here is this. God's word gives us greater reality in the midst of lesser realities. So in verse 163, it says, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. And the implication is that the law gives us the opposite of that which is false, which is true. Uh, I know the cultural narrative has a certain perspective on the nature of truth, and I kind of feel like it's gotten worse because of social media, where like uh, we don't know what's true anymore uh, because everybody you know f gets their news and information now through social media and therefore we have a hard time discerning what's true and false with respect to the news and events and things like that but this psalm tells us that uh, we can at least know what is true with respect to god and with respect to his will for us and that means if we ever feel disoriented or if we ever feel like we're in the face of chaotic times the one thing that we should do to maintain our orientation is turn to the Word of God. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know, we should be pretty realistic and honest about what that might mean for us. Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that, um, I guess, the beliefs of our culture are becoming more antith antithetical to the beliefs of uh Christians or, or the Bible and therefore like some kind of conflict is going to be inevitable and I know there's like some things in the world that are complex but complexity is never uh, a reason or an excuse to, to disregard God's word but that's why I think the heart matters because uh, intellect can complexify and justify a whole range of things that's why we need the right heart because and that's why we have to guard our hearts and genuinely delight in God's word because even when things get complex at least we know our heart is trying to orient ourselves towards God and not trying to uh, justify things or um, I guess I don't know justify the desires even of our own hearts and it does seem like in a, we do live in a time where God's word is um, maybe becoming 
less respectable if you believe in the Bible, then it, it might take a hit with respect to your reputation. And that's going to be tr more true of some and less true of others. But I think that's part of the beauty of this psalm. Because, uh, you know, this psalm, or commentators say, this psalm was written in a very turbulent period in Israel's history. It was written uh, most likely in the post-exilic era when the people of God were encapsulated by other kingdoms. And Israel, they weren't this powerful nation, but they were this very weak nation surrounded by kingdoms that uh, worshipped false gods and other gods. And in that kind of context, so one commentary titles this psalm, The Joy of God's Law in Distress. And that's a great way to summarize this psalm. You know, from the perspective of the New Testament, Christians are exiles in this world. This world doesn't have to conform to uh, God's word, and sometimes it will be strongly against it, but at the same time, that's not anything that's new for the people of God. And when that happens, we may have to take a hit <laughs> with respect to our reputations. But if we do, uh, friends, we're in good company because Jesus himself, the incarnated word, he took the greatest hit. Jesus was rejected. He was mocked. He was accused of blasphemy, even though he himself was the word personified. He was nailed to a cross in shame, and he was despised by criminals. But he was also raised to life, sent the Spirit to dwell among us, so now the word might dwell within our hearts. And if anything, our delight in the word should be much greater than the writer of the psalm, because God has given us his Holy Spirit. I know for some of us, uh, myself included, you know, we've probably built some habits that have taken us further away from the word. Um, I will probably say, you know, Jen and I were like um, looking at our phones, seeing like who's on like social media more. And uh, why? <laughs> You can track it on your phone, right? I won't say who won, because you know. But, <laughs> um, but I don't know. Look at your phone and see, like, how often are you on, like, these apps? And, like, how, long, how, how much are you consuming, like, these thoughts that are written in less than 280 characters, right? Uh, I'm not saying, like, social media is bad and you, you don't get anything useful out of it. But I also think uh, if our time is consumed uh, very much by that, we, we at least have to balance it um, by cultivating habits where we listen to God's thoughts through his word because only his word will fill our soul with delight and life. I, I've, you know, in recent years, uh, I'm talking about pastors. So many pastors have decided I need to take a break from Twitter because it's just filling my soul with, like, darkness and <laughs> emptiness. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I guess that stuff really has an effect in terms of... Uh, people's hearts but according to the psalm god's word can fill us with what we need that delight that we need fill our soul not with emptiness or junk or trash but fill our souls with something that is good and life giving um, this is the last thing i'll say and then i'll close i recently read a book called atomic habits uh, has anybody heard of it it's like a pretty popular book it's about you know how do you make something into a habit. And uh, what the author says is, he says there are four laws. He says you have to make it obvious, you have to make it attractive, you have to make it easy, 
and you have to make it satisfying. Uh, if you want some practical tips about how to make reading God's Word a habit, uh, I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, I'll just say, hey, maybe read that book and maybe it'll help. <laughs> uh, but I will say and urge all of us, uh, we do need to make it a habit. It, it's incredibly important. And uh, I would say because of like everything that surrounds us, it's all the more important to delight in God's word. And I really think we have to ensure that our hearts in the, are in the right place so that we are longing and delighting for God's word and keeping ourselves oriented as we swim in this ocean that is constantly pushing us to and fro. And maybe I'll say one last thing about prayer. Um, <clears throat> should I? Yeah, I'll say one last thing. I know I'm going a little bit long. I, I think God answers prayers in terms of um, delighting in God's word because you know, part of my testimony in terms of how I felt called to ministry was uh, when I was in college, I had this really unusual hunger um, for God's word. And I was not uh, a very good student. And I didn't care. I hated to read. And um, when I became a Christian, uh, something changed in me where I just wanted to, like, read as much as I could about Bible, about theology. So when I was a college student and I would go study in the libraries, um, I would sit in the section that had like all the books on Bible commentaries and theology. And then, you know, I would do my like my regular schoolwork and my, you know, read my history books and things like that. But I would like want to get that over with so that I can go to the shelves and pull out like a commentary and start like reading like on the book of James or something, right? And, uh, you know, you think about that, that's, like, really weird. That's not, like, a common thing. But I think God supernaturally um, gave me that heart to long for his word. And it wasn't something I generated within myself, nor can I generate it within myself. So the one thing I'll say is this. Um, you know, if you find yourself struggling uh, to really yearn or um, desire God's word, maybe begin with prayer and ask God to give you a heart to desire it. And I, I do believe he can answer that prayer and fill our hearts with that desire. So let me pray for that now. God, we thank you for your word, and it's uh, something that's so good. Uh, but, you know, because of sin and because of, um, you know, the ways we've maybe structured our lives and because of the busyness of it all, and, you know, being able to read your word uh, entails being able to, you know, have some peace and quiet, being able to sit, being able to think, being able to reflect, meditate, um, having to read, and you know, maybe reading some, maybe reading the Bible is a struggle for some of us. Um, you know, because of all these factors, uh, you know, it, it can feel as though uh, the emotions of this psalm seem so distant and far from uh, the ones that we feel with respect to your word. Um, but the one thing. Um, I guess I can say confidently is we need your word and we need it desperately. We need what it says uh, about you. We need what it says about your promises. We also need what it tells us about us and ourselves and um, what we need to um, repent of and what we need to reflect on and uh, what we need to even do. Um, so I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the supernatural sense of delight in your word 
um, where you know when we struggle with it um, something within us would just want to open up this Bible and to read it maybe starting small maybe with one verse and if uh, if we do that I pray that that one verse would come alive in really powerful ways and continue to feed and cultivate the desires of our hearts for your word uh, help us to be a people not just of your word in the sense of having right doctrine or theology but help us to also be a people of the word in the sense of having a deep love for it in Jesus name I pray Amen <laughs>